away. They have together become worthless. Same word in Greek used by Jesus in our text of this lazy servant, verse 30, where he says unprofitable or useless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips, which means they carry the kiss of death with them. Their mouths are full of the bitter cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the ways of peace they do not know. Romans 3, verses 12 through 17. Okay, then what is the underlying base of all of this? Or to ask it another way. What is it that is stoking this putrid, defiling behavior? Verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's what's doing it. In their sight, there's no consideration of God whatsoever. His power, His laws, His judgment... And their vulnerability to judgment. There's no holy fear. But let them catch a glimpse of God as he is. And slavish fear comes to the fore. Now they shudder in terror. At Jesus' interrogation before Pontius Pilate. The Jews made this accusation. We have a law, and according to that law, he, Jesus, must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. John 19, verses 7 through 9. Oh, wow. I mean, it was one thing to condemn a carpenter's son, a storyteller. It's quite another thing to condemn to death the Son of God. And Pilate became more afraid. It was the consequence of knowledge. When Paul gave his defense before Governor Felix of Rome, we read as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. And when I find when I when I find a more convenient opportunity, I, I will I'll call for you. I'll send for you. Acts twenty four, verse twenty five. 
he never did call for Paul again. He was scared to death. He didn't want to hear any more of that. When Jesus healed the demoniac by casting out his demons, we read, Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus, Leave, leave! Because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. Luke 8, verse 37. Brethren, the dread of God will characterize the return of Christ. Let me read it for you from the book of Revelation. Last book of the Bible. Revelation 6, verse 16. They call to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Day of dread. And so the problem with this wayward servant who buried his talent in the ground and did nothing to enhance his master's estate was a slavish fear. He says, I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent. Verse 25. But we have to ask another question. Why was he afraid with the fear of dread? I mean, had God somehow done him evil while I servant on his estate? Had he been deprived? Had he been beaten? Had had he been shunned? Had he been ill-treated in any way? I mean, usually (laughs) there has to be a complaint or a gripe for someone to be afraid. Oh, he did have a perception problem. He says to the master, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you had not sown. Gathering where you have not scattered seed. Verse 24. And we know that this is man's perception of God. And we know that it's skewed perception. Because Jesus charged his disciples... Love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Luke 6 verse 35. That's our God. That's how he relates to people. Again, we read, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes 
his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew 5, verse 44, verse 45. And even when God issues judgment on sinful behavior, we hear him say, let me read it for you, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Ezekiel 18, verse 32. I'd much rather see you repent and be saved. It'll never do for us like the servant in our text to try to shift the blame for our own failures onto God. But people with a slavish fear or dread of God have done that many times. Well, God, I'm the way <laughs> I'm the way I am because that's the way you made me. Yeah, but wrong perception of God. But there's something else that goes with it, and that is, secondly, no love for Christ, no love for God in the heart. There's no fear in love. I'm reading scripture. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 1 John 4, verse 18. Slavish fear has to do with punishment. That's why the wicked dread the coming of Christ. It is the answer of Pilate's fear that Jesus might be the Son of God. Wow! And Felix fear when Paul talked to him about judgment. And why those at Christ's appearing call out for the mountains to fall on them and to hide them. It's all related to the judgment coming upon them that they know they deserve. But below and supportive of this fear is a lack of love for God and his son. They are God's enemies. He does them good, but they return his kindness with evil, like the servant in our story. In the Luke text of this parable, we read, His subjects hated him and sent a delegate after him, saying, We don't want this man to be our king. That was their attitude. He was made king, however, I'm reading scripture. He was made king, however, and returned home. Luke 19, verse 14 and following. The Jews of Jesus' day protested to Pilate, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king 
But Caesar, the chief priests answered. John 19, verse 15. Absence of love for God is always the underlying support system of fear. Perfect love drives out fear, reading scripture. But as it is, Romans 1 verse 30 describes the unbelieving as, and let me read it for you, God-haters, slanderers, unbelieving, insolent, arrogant, boastful. And Jesus told the then unbeliever, is it then unbelieving brothers, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify what it does is evil. John 7, verse 7. Or again, he who hates me hates my father as well. John 15, verse 23. So brethren, there's a connection between love for God and living faith in God. One who believes God loves him. A faith without love for God is not the faith that makes us children of God. Paul put it this way, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. First Corinthians 13, verse 2. And in that same chapter, verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. May I say that love is the defining qualifier of our faith. It's always the defining qualifier. Paul told the Galatian churches, for in Christ Jesus neither in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5 verse 6. And in Jesus' tense conversation with the Pharisees. They claimed to believe in God. And even claimed God as their heavenly father. But Jesus challenged that. He said to them. If God were your father. You would love me. For I came down from God. And now I'm here. And if I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? No faith, because no love. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Oh boy, they didn't want to hear that. But Jesus told the truth. John 8, verse 42 and following. When James, brother of our Lord, observed in the 
church, a preference being given to the wealthy while the poor were insulted, he wrote, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised those who love him? James 2, verse 5. Clearly, those rich in faith are the ones who love God. I think you can use this uh, kind of like a spiritual thermometer to test your own spiritual temperature. If your love for God is shaky, the problem is weak faith. And that's why it leads to fear. That was the issue with this one servant in our story. The other two servants had no guarantee that their efforts would enable them to double their money for the master, but they had faith that if they applied themselves, God would give the increase. They believed in God. They worked for God's glory. And their service was the measure of their faith. Yes, but also of their love. Jesus put it this way. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's connected. John 14, verse 15. And unlike the one servant... These two put their hands to the plow, so to speak, by investing where the master's holdings, putting them in the bank, so to speak, and would again gain interest and increase. One who loves God believes God. Paul commended the brethren at Thessalonica, saying, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers. And rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. See how they're put together in the scripture? Faith in God and love for God. The Bible everywhere teaches that to love God will result in loving one another. And here the brethren's love for each other proved their faith in God the one flowing from the other. Christ himself said to the churches, church at Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So Christians, we say we love God. Then do you believe him when he speaks and in all that he speaks? Do you believe him when he gives instruction on child rearing that goes against the culture? Do you believe him when his instruction on marital harmony is the opposite of the divorce happy advocates of our society? 
Do you believe him about a Christian work ethic, a responsible restraint on borrowing and debt, on amassing material goods? Do you believe him when the politicians say one thing concerning social justice and he says the direct opposite? Do you believe him when he tells us to assemble with God's people as often as we can to hear and to learn God's word when it's convenient and when it's not convenient? Do, re, do you respect the benefit of corporate as well as private prayer? We meet corporately every Wednesday night. Do you believe in mission outreach to the lost? Do you play a part in that outreach? In the weeks to come, we will be looking at all these things as part of a living faith. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word that you lined out for us. How faith and love work hand in hand. And I did use the word work. We're not just sayers of the gospel. We are to be doers of the gospel. And I pray that you would cement that into our minds today. Give us a heart for God that loves him. Help us to love his character, his power, his authority. Help us to love the things that God stands for. His holiness, his righteousness, his truth, his justice, his mercy, his grace. Things that are in scarce supply in our culture. Help us to love his commands as a delight and not as a burden. To give us joy in our heart when we contemplate being with God's people to worship God on the Lord's day. And any outside of Christ today, help them to realize we've been so blessed in this country. Here we sit with our Bible, and I have a dozen more Bibles on the shelves of my library at home. We are blessed. We have all these different translations that make reading easy. We have study Bibles that give us footnotes that send us to other places in the Bible where we can get an understanding of the text we're presently reading. No other country has this volume of help. God is saying to us, I want you to know me. I want you to come before me. I want you to have a right relationship with me. I'm your creator. I don't want you running away. I want you running to me. Lord, help us to do that. Grant us that faith. Grant us that love. Melt the two together. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Our closing hymn is from the hymnal number 405. It's a great hymn. My faith has found a resting place. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the world, their faith hasn't found a place to settle down. They're here today and there today. They're up and down and in and out and this hymn says, my faith has found a place to rest, to settle down. Let's stand, let's stand together and we'll sing. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word today and we praise you for the fact that it's a two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit can slay us with that sword and some of us need slain because we're so proud of ourselves. 
we think we think we're okay with God because of what we do or say. We need to understand then then Christ has no portion with us. Christ didn't come to die for people that are okay. He came to die for those that are not okay, whose sin is drowning them in a sea of destruction and judgment. But if we will have Christ, if he, his sacrifice will be in our stead, in our place, then we shall have life eternal. Bless the truth to our heart. If we know the Lord, we pray that we'll be strengthened and encouraged by the fact we have that Savior. If we don't know the Lord, may today he find us and draw us to himself. In Christ's name, amen.